0: hello and welcome to the veterinary secrets podcast my name is dr andrew jones and this is episode 67. in today's episode i'm discussing new help for canine cognitive dysfunction also known as doggy alzheimer's a new ardueric herb called triphala for dog cancer plus the so-called grain-free backlash based on the fda warning about grain-free dog food and heart disease Veterinary Secrets is on iTunes and Stitcher. I'd appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave a review. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. Questions or comments, feel free to post a comment on my blog at veterinarysecrets.com forward slash blog, or send me an email at podcast at Now let's get right into today's podcast. Canine Cognitive Dysfunction. This is similar to Alzheimer's in people. Dogs accumulate deposits of beta amyloid, a protein plaque in the brain with age. Dogs show similar signs to people with Alzheimer's. What are some of the signs your pet sleeps more and plays less? He has a graying muzzle, poor hearing, and poor vision. You may see cataracts. He may show abnormal signs such as pacing, excessive panting, and barking at the wall. Here are some of the more common symptoms of cognitive dysfunction. Increased sleeping, appearing confused, loss of training such as house training, unable to recognize familiar people, lack of interest in surroundings or events, increased drinking, increased urination, decreased, occasionally increased appetite, Excessive panting, unusual behaviors, such as staring at the wall, excessive barking, deafness, overall less interest, less activity, just appearing old. What are some of the causes? Well, your dog is considered a senior when he's past the age of seven. Older pets have natural organ changes, you know, such as their eyes, developing cataracts, or bones of the middle ear often fuse, resulting in lowered hearing. Joints lose their soft articular cartilage, resulting in arthritis, and then the brain can age, resulting in signs of senility. These are some known contributors to cognitive decline. Barbiturates, such as a common drug for epilepsy, phenobarbital, valium and related drugs, any gas anesthetic, drugs used to increase heart rate, typically during anesthesia. These are the anticholinergics. Chemotherapy drugs for cancer. And then one of the more commonly prescribed veterinary drugs, steroids, such as prednisone. What are some of the solutions? First, let's think about behavior and environment modification. CCD or canine cognitive dysfunction treatment usually involves management of behavior and environments, enhanced diet and medication. Its dual goals are slowing the disease's progress and improving quality of life for dogs and their people. Behavior can be effectively managed by providing daytime activities and opportunity for play and structured social interaction for physical and mental stimulation. Exposure to sunlight will help regulate the sleep-wake cycle. If your dog can't walk anymore, use a wagon or stroller anything to get them into the sunlight and stimulation. A big key is not letting your dog act elderly. I mean, this is vital. Just don't treat your dog as if he's old. Understand that there are limitations, but don't give up on your dog. You have to keep walking your dog, especially now. Managing the important is very important. Make it more predictable. Pet-proof your house just as you toddler-proof it. Provide adequate opportunities for your dog to get outside. They just can't hold it as long, right? So you don't want them to be going into the bathroom in the house. You know, think about using diapers, pads, waterproof bed and furniture covers can be really helpful. Here are some supplements and natural options. Here are some supplements and natural options to consider. First, the antioxidants. Things such as taurine, flavonoids, coenzyme Q. Of them all, vitamin E appears to be pretty important in maintaining healthy brain function and delaying further loss of brain tissue. Doses of vitamin E are 100 IUs per 10 pounds of body weight. There's an antioxidant combination including vitamin E, vitamin C, and selenium, which can be quite effective. Alpha-lipoic acid. This is an increasingly talked about supplement for people with Alzheimer's or cognitive dysfunction, and it can have benefits for your dog. It's an antioxidant found in every cell in the body, and one of its main purposes is to convert sugar into energy. Being an antioxidant, it also helps protect the cells of the body against free radical damage. Free radicals are the result of normal cellular reactions. They themselves ca- cause harmful cell reactions, but alpha-lipoic acid can protect against this. A special note, most antioxidants only work in water, you know, such as vitamin C, or fatty tissues, such as vitamin E. Alpha-lipoic acid, it works in both. The alpha-lipoic acid dose is 10 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. Flavonoids, these compounds are in a class of their own. They compose the thousands of structures that give the bright colors to fruits and vegetables. Their anti- these antioxidants also have anti-cancer properties. These include the flavonones, such as apigenin, isoflavonones, such as genistein, and the flavanols, say the one found in apple peel, quercetin. I would encourage you to purchase a mixed bioflavonoid product that particularly contains the flavonoid found in green tea, EGCG. The standard dose is about 100 milligrams per day. Melatonin, this is frequently used for older pets who are having trouble getting to sleep and pace at night. Melatonin also makes the mitochondria more effective. For dogs, you're looking at a dosing that varies. So a typical dog, you know, up to 20 pounds uh, would be one to two milligrams per day up to 50 pounds, about three milligrams per day, and 50 pounds, up to 100 pounds, about six milligrams per day. And if you're looking at giving it uh, in the evening, you wanna give it about one hour before bed. These are some newer holistic options. 95% curcumin. New research in people has shown a strong link between chronic inflammation and degenerative brain disorders, such as cognitive dysfunction. Researchers are implicating diets high in grains, along with repeated vaccines as potential underlying causes. The active ingredient in the spice turmeric is curcumin, and this is shown to be effective in people with Alzheimer's. may really be helpful for your dogs. 95% animal curcumin dose is 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily. You just want to be making sure you're also giving it with fat and then it can be absorbed properly. MCT oil. Uh, Here's one study called The Efficacy of a Therapeutic Diet on Dogs with Signs of Cognitive Dysfunction, CDS, a prospective double-blind placebo-controlled clinical trial, and in it, dogs were fed the 6.5% MCT oil diet. They showed significant improvement over baseline in all six categories of CDS. Wow. The MCT standard oil doses, you want to start low at about a half teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight daily, slowly increase the amount to one teaspoon per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. And for both the curcumin, but for both the MCTL, it's going to take like three to four months before you're really going to see any particular change. But I encourage you to go for that long period of time. The last new holistic one I want to talk about is CBD or cannabidiol. Um, here's one study where they use CBD or cannabidiol to treat symptoms of Alzheimer's. According to researchers at California's Salk Institute, their 2017 study found evidence that cannabinoids such as CBD could help remove dementia from brain cells. So honestly, I mean, this is one other big new holistic option. And if you've yet to try it, I really encourage you to try it as well. When you're looking at CBD doses, a pretty standard dog one is about one milligram per 10 pounds of body weight twice daily. Although some research has shown doses up to 10 times that amount. The other big thing is knowing that CBD is incredibly safe. There's no sort of real toxic dose. Uh, So if you you do up it where you're not seeing a particular change in your dog, that's completely fine. I wanted to let you know about Eileen Anderson, whose book Remember Me and her website Dog Dementia help and support our invaluable CCD resources. Uh, her resource and website is at dogdementia.com. And I have a couple different supplements for you to consider. So a great option if you're looking at a supplement to help your dog's aging brain. My Ultimate Canine Advanced Health Formula contains additional antioxidants, additional essential fatty acids, as well as 95% curcumin. You can get your trial bottle by going to the slash advanced. And I also have a CBD oil supplement for those who are looking to try that as well with their dogs. My ultimate CBD for dogs and cats is at www.thecbdsupplement.com. The second part of today's podcast, the Arveric Herb Trifala for dog cancer. Triphala is a herbal supplement that's been a herb of choice for treating cancers. Recent research has supported this fact. It enhances the immunity of the body, thus helps in fighting against cells causing cancer. It's a herbal formulation widely used. In Ayurvedic medicine, for the treatment of various ailments, it consists of equal portions of dried and powdered fruits of three medicinal plants: emblica officinalis. Terminalia chabula and Terminalia bellerica. Uh, I'm sure I just completely mispronounced those three plants, and they're all native to India and they're sort of easily and widely grown. And when you sort of look at all the different arboric medicines or some of these treatments in India, this is kind of one of the big core, core, core ones. Some of the things it's used to treat are dental caries, anemia, jaundice, constipation, asthma, fever, chronic ulcers, inflammation, obesity, and to promote immunity against infections such as pneumonia, tuberculosis, and AIDS. It demonstrated antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, antibacterial, immune modulary, chondropotractive, antidiarrheal, and anti-cancer properties in vitro. These effects are due to the polyphenols and flavonoids present in the constituents. Triphala may cause mild gastrointestinal side effects, more likely if you're going to see anything, it would be diarrhea. As I was saying, the exact mechanism of action is not exactly known, although it's believed that it's mostly the polyphenols and flavonoids thought to be responsible for many of triphala's effects. Triphala may cause some herb drug interactions. It uses the same enzyme called cytochrome P450, which most of the conventional veterinary medications are also being metabolized with. When you're looking at these relatively low doses, I don't expect you to have any specific problems. What I wanted to do now is just to highlight there's about three different studies where they've actually studied triphala with cancer. This one and all these have occurred in India where it's being widely used. This one here in the University of India in 2005 has shown that triphala has helped protect against development of tumors in mice and they published this study in December 2005 in the Journal of Experimental and Clinical Cancer Research. Secondly it's been shown to have this serious and important antioxidant activity being a rich source of natural antioxidants called polyphenols. Antioxidants are inhibiting the formation of free radicals, these unstable oxygen molecules, which cause oxidative damage to molecules such as fats, proteins, and nuclei cells. Sadly, the damage caused by free radicals contributes to increased susceptibility for cellular mutations, eventually resulting in the initiation of cancer, as reported from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. It's been studied for breast cancer, and here another study in India in 2006. Um, they actually studied aqueous extracts of triphala on the growth and invasion of breast cancer cells, and here they got positive results in terms of had an anti-cancer effect, as well as, well as inducing apoptosis, and this is the cell death, and this is what you want to happen to actually cause the cancer cancer cells to stop growing. It's also been tested for pancreatic cancer, which has a generally very poor prognosis. It's really difficult to treat pancreatic cancer in people with chemotherapy. And in it, they found that triphala induces apoptosis in human pancreatic cells in vivo. Wow, which is huge. So if they could actually be looking at using triphala for for pancreatic cancer, that would be massive. And this study was published in October 2008. Those are three specific studies. As far as, you know, dose-wise, what would you give your dog? You'd be looking at doses of about 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight daily the one thing i'm actually on it now because i'm trying it for as an anti-inflammatory the capsules are quite big like these fairly big capsules so for a small dog you'd have to sort of quarter them or something and they're 500 milligram capsules but they're ones where i don't think you crush up because it's going to be fairly bitter Um, but i think there's what they're ones where you could cut up and dose accordingly lastly i wanted to talk about this article that was published called the grain free pet food backlash the influences and the irony. So this comes from the article itself where the author said that considering the popularity of grain-free pet food, the current backlash against it is rather ironic. Since humanization became a key influence on pet food some 15 years ago, it has played out in numerous product development trends and cycles. Arguably, the poster child has been grain-free pet food. No studies have, this is what the author says, that no studies to date have proven that grain-free pet foods are better nutritionally for dogs or cats than are ones with grain-free-based ingredients. Regardless, grain-free pet food caught in like wildfire among pet owners, capturing about 25% of the U.S. market and spreading globally. Which makes for great irony given the U.S. pet food scene today. Namely, the growing backlash against grain-free pet foods driven by the FDA's investigation into a possible link between them and recent atypical cases of canine dilated cardiomyopathy or DCM. Hmm... So I thought I'd comment on this. First, yes, there's a concern between heart disease, DCM, and dog food. It's actually a very low concern, and I really think it's been blown out of proportion. When you look at the millions of dogs that have eaten grain-free dog food, and you're dealing with 0.001% of these dogs develop this atypical typical type of heart disease, DCM, you got to think there's 70 to 75 million dogs in the U.S. We have 500 cases. It's virtually nothing. Yes, there's a concern. And yes, there is something is going on. But when you put it on the scale of all the other diseases that our dogs are exposed to and all the other diseases our dogs cat, I think it's really, really tiny. Second, it's now generally accepted conventional veterinary wisdom that some animals and in particular cats are much healthier and have far less incidence of disease when eating lower carbohydrate diets. You know, such as lower chance of diabetes, obesity, degenerative joint disease. My issue is that most of the so-called grain-free dry diets have just replaced one carbohydrate such as wheat for another such as peas. So I guess in this case the author does have a point and it's sometimes it's been a bit of a marketing thing selling so-called healthier grain-free food. This is some information that comes from researchers at Tufts saying that these results show us that just because you're using a grain-free diet doesn't mean you're feeding your cat less carbohydrate. It also doesn't predict whether the food will be higher low in calories. All dry cat diets contain carbs of some kind. The grain-free cat diets we investigated swapped grains for peas, potatoes, sweet potatoes, and tapioca, think of pudding. These ingredients are no more natural or healthy for your cat than grains. Point number three. You, as a concerned pet parent, recognize that what you feed your dog or cat matters, and there are serious concerns about pet food and pet food quality. The Clean Label Project has tested over 8,000 different types of dog and cat food, finding over 150 different environmental contaminants and toxins. You know, poisons such as BPA, lead, mercury, arsenic, cadmium, acrylamide, pesticides, antibiotics, plus 143 more. Point number four, so what's best to feed? You know, good question, and no one really knows the answer. My general suggestions are based on feeding your dog or cat closer to what they would have historically eaten and mix it up. First of all, less to no kibble. If you do feed kibble, vary it every three months, not just one brand or type or particular dog kibble all the time. You know, feed some food that's homemade diets, you know, such as stew for dogs and cats. When I cook, my pets get some and it's simple. And when I'm making a stew, I would include one-third protein, one-third veggies, one-third carbohydrates, such as a sweet potato. And that's what I would eat. and So would my dog Tula. My cat Murray, he would just get the protein and that's it. Like it's simple. And I'm doing that between one and three times a week. And then third, I'm also feeding raw food as well. So I've got this pre-packaged frozen raw, my dog, Tula, she loves that. Murray, he just about eats anything. He he really, really prefers. Just give him any type of raw meat, give him a bit of raw chicken, and he's in his glory. So both of them are also eating raw as well. Then my fifth point for all of this is I think you should just question everything, including me and the rest of the so-called experts. More than anything, that's probably the biggest take-home, right? No one really knows for sure what is the best food to feed, what is the best answer. Should you be running out and changing, you know, from one grain-free to grain-based dog food? No, I don't don't think so. Especially if your dog is doing really well on a certain grain-based food. If you've got a breed of dog that's prone to DCM, or you've got a golden retriever, you may want to think about taurine supplementation. I've got a bunch of information on that. Uh, but it's sort of average taurine supplementation dose is about 100 milligrams per 10 pounds of body weight, twice daily. Well, thanks you guys for listening uh, to this podcast, podcast 67. This is Dr. Jones. Um, I love to hear your feedback. Any questions or comments? Comment on the blog at veterinary secrets.com forward slash blog, or you can send me an email at podcast at Once again, thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys soon. This is Dr. Jones.